please get a hold of Jackie. Um, sign up, volunteer. It's a great mission. It's a great ministry. Let's finish this last week out strong. Let's do God's work out there in the community, and uh, let's get this thing wrapped up. Um, moving on. Uh, Hope Church, Women of Hope, uh, Building Encouraging Relationships. Um, they, have a, they will resume on August 7th uh, for a study in the book of Esther. Uh, come for a time of encouragement, Bible study, and prayer. If you want more information about that, Pebby, your turn to do the beauty wave. Contact Pebby. This is a great opportunity for you women to connect together and strengthen those relationships and study the word of God. So I definitely encourage all of you to take part of that. Guys, I'm sorry. We're not that cool. We don't get stuff like that. But there are things for us coming up. Don't worry about that. Uh, Hope Church, Hope for Kids, Fun in the Sunday. Notice S-O-N, right? It's a little pun, play on words. I thought that was pretty uh, ingenious. Um, but sign up for that. If you're not already signed up, if you have uh, school-age kids up to fifth grade, kindergarten through fifth, please make sure that you sign up for that. Um, we do have some uh, spots for older kids to volunteer as well. If you have some older kids, I know I'm making mine work this event because they're you know, just sitting around in the summer not doing anything. But this will be perfect for them. So make sure that uh, you sign up for the event, but also there is a sign-up genius for dinner for that event as well. If you would like to come for dinner, uh, there is a separate sign-up genius for that. So make sure that you find the link. Pebby, is that, I'm assuming that's being sent out as well? Joe will send it out, that guy right over there. Um, and it, it is open to everybody. Uh, but make sure that you sign up because we are going to need a headcount to know how many people that need to be fed. Uh, otherwise, there might be some hungry people here. And we know that hungry people turn to hangry people, and that gets all messy. We don't want to mess with that. Um, what else do we have? I think, um, we definitely want to talk about this last one, but I think this is pretty much going to be kind of the last announcement that we have. Uh, Hope Church Ministries, congratulations and appreciation. I know we said something about this last week, but, um, we definitely want to highlight some of the people that have served here in our community that are currently on sabbatical. Uh, Allison Schmidt, Debbie Lawler, Lois True, um, they definitely have, have served very well in this community, and they are now on a sabbatical, means they're taking a year off to, to rest and relax and recuperate. Um, those positions are um, being filled with uh, Jackie, Jen Townsend, and Darden Kalick. So all, all this really means is that we're just trying to show our appreciation for all your hard work and everything that you guys have done. We truly would not be the community that we are without the volunteers that we have. So guys, thank you so much for the service, everybody that's out there on Zoom. Thank you for everything that you've done for Hope Church. We continue to look forward to your community, or I'm sorry, your commitment to this community. Uh, for those that are serving now, we thank you for volunteering. Uh, we, we know we'll see good works in God's name from you guys. And uh, we're just happy that we're all here as one community under God's, uh, God's roof here. I think that's it. I made it. I didn't crash. Guys, thank you much. Morning, everyone. It, it's a, a, it was like you were giving an, a, an Oscar acceptance speech. It felt a little bit like. Uh, just want to thank my mother and uh, and God and all of you out there who sounded like an Oscar acceptance speech. So. Yeah, it did a little bit. Just uh, can I invite all the important people forward? I sound really boomy. Do I sound this way when I talk to you guys face to face? Do I sound like this when I talk to you all face to face, or is it? <laughs> I sound grown up? I don't sound squeaky like a like a kid anymore. How are y'all doing? Good? 
Y'all are really quiet when I'm up here. You're really noisy when Tom's up here. You talk a lot, you engage, and when I'm up here, you guys are really quiet. That's okay. It's fine. You don't, you don't know me as well, and I get it. Cool. Cool. Let me ask you this. How's summer going? Going all right? Good. Cool. Finished swim team, saw your friends. Cool, cool. You know, one of my favorite things about summertime, and you don't notice it as much here because it's green all the time, but where I'm originally from, it's a, it's a place called Iowa. It's a far, far away land where corn grows big and tall. And anyway, um, uh, where I'm from, uh, I love the summertime because that's when things turn green. Right? That's when we get grass. That's when, that's when the, the, all, the, all the leaves come out and get in full bloom and everything. It's just beautiful. Tell me, what, what would you say a tree looks like? There's no wrong answer here. Yeah, what's a tree look like? All right, a, a tree does look like a tree. That is true. How would you describe it to a person that had never seen a tree? It has green leaves. Okay, good. What else? It's got brown bark. Good. Excellent. What else? Wood. wood. It, it's made of wood. Yes. That's where we get wood. What else? It makes paper. That's true. That's true. Um, would you say that the green leaves stay green all the time? No. 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 Sometimes they change color. Right. Right. So the green leaves can be red or orange or yellow. Yes. I turned 10 July 15th. You turned 10 July 15th. Great. That's awesome. Thank you. I didn't know that. All right. All right. So that's what a tree looks like. How would you describe, how would you describe, uh, let's say, uh, a merry-go-round to someone? All right. Let me try something else. How would you describe a car to someone? Everybody's seen a car, right? All right. So tell me what a car looks like. A car has tires, a car has tires wheels, and an engine. And a steering wheel? It always has a spot to put the gas in. Is it just some tires and an engine and you sit on top of that? No. No, no, no. There are seats, right? It has a cover. It has a body over it, yeah, right, 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 okay. It doesn't It doesn't always. Sometimes they're convertibles. They top this off. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. It, you have windows that go open. Sometimes there's windows on top, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah those are those are some of my favorite because you don't have to hassle with the with the drop top of a convertible. But you, those are kind of fun, right? So, how would you describe love? You're doing so kind well. and, and nice to people. Kind and nice to people. Good. Hugging. Kissing and hugging. Yeah, sometimes. Not all the time. I mean, I love Jason, but we don't kiss and. Hug. Not anymore. Yeah. That's just a joke. That's just a joke. Everybody relax. So you're on the you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Jesus tells us, or well, Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul. We read it a little bit earlier in the service. He tells us exactly what love looks like. Here's what here's what love looks like. He says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or never fails. That's what love looks like. Who do you suppose showed us what love looked like? Love looks like best. Friendship. Friendship does show us what love looks like, but who shows us better than anybody else? God. And God in Jesus. Yes, excellent. We got it. We got it. Jesus shows us exactly what love has looked like. That's what his love looked like to us, and that's what we're called to do with others. We're called to love them in that way. Kindness, gentleness, patience, bearing all things. That means not getting upset or, or being so angry with them that you stop talking or whatever. It means always being there to care for them and love them. All right. So I think that's what you're going to talk about in Hope for Kids today. So I'm going to pray for you, and then you all can go back. All right? You bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord Jesus, thank you for these children. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you for their desire to know more about you and to engage with you, Lord. And we just pray that you would bless them now as they go back to Hope for Kids, be with their teachers, uh, guide them, lead them, and use them to, uh, to teach your word and to teach your love. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, my name is Darden Kaler. I am the assistant pastor here, just in case you don't know me. We haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. I am going to start this morning by reading our passage from 1 John. We've been going through a series on 1 John, and we are now in chapter 3 at the very beginning. We're doing chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and they read as follows. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this is it, it is evident that we are children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one, who was the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray together. 
Lord God, we pray that uh, you would bless this reading of your word, that it might enter our hearts and convict us where we need to be convicted, comfort us where we need to be comforted, and help us to see you more clearly and love you more dearly, Lord. We pray that as we continue to study your word this morning, that you would be with us, open our hearts to your spirit, teach us what you have to teach us, and help us to be more and more like you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So my wife and I, Belinda, have... Uh, three kids. I think you, most of you have met them now. Um, when we first found out we were pregnant, it was back in 1996. With, with she, I say we. When, I, when we first found out she was pregnant, <laughs> back in 1996, uh, we, we were both extremely excited, very, very happy, right? right? You want to have kids, and, and you find out you're having the first one. It's so exciting. It's so, it's so great. And yet, at the same time, I was terrified. Like, really terrified. To, to the extent that I would have small panic attacks where I was just going, like, how, how I was still, I still had a year and a half of seminary left. I was worried about how we were going to pay bills. I was worried about, am I going to be a good dad? What do I know about being a dad? I mean, my dad was a good dad, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be a good dad. There's so many things that you get concerned about, so many things that you worry about. I wondered how I could possibly love another person as much as I love my wife, right? You, you, meet, you meet the woman of your dreams, and, and you fall in love, and you're like, oh, I could never love anybody as much as I love her. And then suddenly you're supposed to have a kid, and you're like, oh, how's this going to work? Like, what, is, how am I going to love them? And then when I first saw Josh, I felt as if the love in my heart doubled. You know, when the Grinch stole Christmas, right? Right At the end, his, his heart grows three sizes. I felt that way about my love. It just boomed, and I was like, suddenly, I knew how I, was, I, knew how I could do it. I could love him. I could love her. It, I was just smitten with him. And there was no doubt in my mind that I would be able to love him. But when Belinda was expecting our second child, the exact same thing happened again. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I wasn't in seminary any longer. Literally... She told me she was expecting the, 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 the day before we moved down here the first time. So I had quit my job up there. We were coming down here to plant, help plant Hope Church. Didn't know if it was going to last. <laughs> Didn't know if I'd have a job in six months or a year. And I, I went into this sort of, <gasps> you know, sort of, oh, that's great, honey. I'm so happy for, yay. I was just terrified. And then the thought set in, Oh, no. Now I've got to share this love that I've had for two people with, a, with another person. How am I possibly ever going to love another person as much as I love these two people? It's just never going to work. I, I don't see how it could happen. But when Jonas was born, it was like my love grew another time. And then when hope came around, or when, let me say, when Belinda found out she was expecting with hope. She had learned something that I had not learned, which was uh, that I, I, don't, I didn't take those announcements really, really well. Like, she could tell I was terrified when I was going, oh, this is wonderful, right? She knew. And so uh, when, when she found out she was pregnant with hope, I had been at a meeting in Mississippi, and I was flying back on a Saturday. I flew back, and she and the boys were supposed to go see Cirque du Soleil, and we were here in town, right? So they were going to Austin to see Cirque du Soleil. So I get home, and... I see a note with a positive pregnancy test. 
And the note says, look in the refrigerator. And there in the refrigerator was a six-pack of cold beer. And I was like, she gets me, <laughs> right? She knows what I need. She knows that I, 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 I want the children. I love the, I'll love the children. She knows that I just need a couple minutes to absorb the fact that it's all going to change again. And I'm going to have to or my love is going to have to multiply, and, and our lives are going to be more stressful, and we're never going to sleep again, and you know, all those things. What they don't tell you about children is that you know, they're like, oh yeah, the kids will eventually sleep through the night, but you never do again. Like you worry about them constantly. Then when they grow up, you're still worried about them. I have a 19-year-old, almost 20-year-old daughter who lives, in, lives with me, and when she's out late, I'm like sleeping with one eye open. And it's just crazy. I, anyway, that's a side note. That has, that, that's just a demonstration of the love that we have for our children. It's natural, right? The Bible talks a lot about children. They're mentioned over 100 times alone in the New Testament, not just uh, uh, you know, children that we have, but also uh, as us as children of God. Like 20% refer to us as children of God, 20% of those times in the, in the New Testament. And a quarter of those come from the author John. And three of those are in today's passage. Three of those come from today's passage. Right from the very start, John wants us to know that we are God's children. Right? We are God's children. We're the kids that he dearly loves. We're the ones that he, that he I don't know, does God worry? No, God doesn't worry because God knows how things are going to work out. But we're the ones that he would worry about if he were a worrier. We are the ones that he cares so much about that he does great things for us and engages us and wants to have a relationship with us. It's a theme that John brought into this epistle uh, that he wrote. It's a theme that he brought in from the gospel that he wrote where he states, To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave us the right to be called his children. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that we're God's children because we've been adopted. And he goes so far as to say that this is, this is actually our destiny. We were born to be God's children. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't a fluke. We were actually born for that very purpose. Ephesians 1.5, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons to himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his good will. Now, to be sure, Paul's use of the term sons here is not to exclude women. Understand that. It's not at all to exclude women. It actually raises us all up to this equal footing because in ancient Israel, sons had special privileges. They had special freedoms. They had special uh, inheritance. And so what it means is that all of us who belong to Christ, all of us who are his children will receive the inheritance of sons. We will receive the inheritance that Christ has given us, the salvation that he has given us. We will will receive the freedom that sons have, which is the forgiveness that he brings through his sacrifice. And we will experience the security of sons, which is God's unconditional love. Nothing ever will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all, not heights, not depths, not angels, nor demons, not good, nor bad. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because you have that security as a son of God, as a child of God. That's what it means to be his children. It means we are loved. 
We're deeply, deeply loved. This is a real simple sermon, guys. You could read this, and I, I bet you could predict where I was going, right? It's very easy. We're loved by God. We're God's children. It means we're loved. You can't be a child and not be loved if you're a child of God's. And John starts by calling us to behold the great love that God has for all of his children. He calls us to recognize that God loves his children in a way that we could never totally, completely understand. God loves us because he has adopted us to be his sons, to be one of all of his sons, like Jesus is his son. But not, we're not God like Jesus is God, but we're sons because of what Jesus has done. And since we are God's children, he loves us deeply. Indeed, in John 3.16, you probably all know this passage, right? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's for us, his sons, his children. Paul adds to this, that God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against God, while we were unlovable, Christ died for us. God didn't just send his son to say, hey, pay attention to God. He sent his son so that his children would have an atoning sacrifice for their sins. That was Jesus' purpose in coming. That's, that's why he came. We like to say he lived the life that we could not live, which was perfect obedience to God. He died the death that we deserve to die, which death is the consequence of sin. And he did all of that so that we can be reconciled to the Father and reunited with him in paradise. Jesus died to save us while we were sinners, while we were slaves to sin, while we were unable to do anything on our own to merit God's love. We couldn't get him to love us. We couldn't do anything special enough to, to get him to love us. There was no possible way we could do it, but Christ died to make it possible for us when we were difficult to love. Children can be that way, right? Children can occasionally be difficult to love. I, maybe not your children. Maybe you were never that way. I don't know. I, I know personally I was occasionally difficult to love when I was growing up. I wasn't, I wasn't really, really bad. I, I never got arrested. That's good. But I was a smart-mouthed kid. I was far from perfect. There were times when I'm sure that I was very difficult to love for my parents, times when I'm sure that I caused them great frustration and, and dare I say, anger, <laughs> right? Like, for example, um, when I was 10, uh, you all know what a peonies bush is? It's just a bush that flowers and has these big things on it. It's small. They're, not, they're never huge or typically not huge. My mother had like eight of them in the backyard. My parents never did things small. So they, ha they had eight of them. They had 60 roses, but they had eight peonies bushes. And um, at one time when I was 10, my friends and I thought, you know, those would make great little things to hit with a baseball bat. So I cut all of those off so that we could, we could pitch them. And, and yeah, that was, that, was, that was bad. My mom was not... Very happy with that. There was a time that I got kicked out of band for mouthing off to the band director. He had yelled at us about something, and I said something, and then I got kicked out. And, you know, I, it, when I was 16, it was cool because it was like I was the kid that got kicked out of band. But, uh, you know, then my parents found out, and it wasn't so cool. Um, there was the time that uh, I, I suggested that my mom needed to relax and chill out a bit, which is not something you typically should say to your parents. Uh, I, I, I suggested she needed to relax because she was upset that my report card wasn't stellar, in part because I got a D in band, go figure. Uh, but but uh, it, it, 
I told her she needed to relax. She didn't see that she needed to relax, and she didn't relax. She took my car keys. So that was, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how that works out. And, and so there were times like that. There were many times like that. That's just, a, that's just a small, small example of the stupid stuff Darden did when he was a kid and probably continues to do even to this day in many ways, right? But the fact is, is that even though I was insubordinate, churlish, insolent, or whatever you might say, my parents, my parents never stopped caring for me. They didn't stop clothing me. They didn't stop feeding me. They didn't stop housing me. They never stopped loving me just because I was difficult to love because that's what loving parents do. They love you no matter what you do, no matter who you are. They love you. That's just the way it is for us with God. God doesn't love us because we've earned it. God doesn't love us because we're something special. He doesn't love us because we've done something so great that, well, gosh, I don't have a choice. I've got to love them. It doesn't work that way. God loves us because we're his children, because Christ died for us so that he could love us, so that he could see us as spotless and, and, and perfect in his sight. We can no more earn God's love than, say, a a dead person can get up and dance. It just doesn't happen. That was, that was Paul's point in Ephesians 2 when he said that uh, we were dead in our transgressions, right? He's meaning you can't do anything. You're spiritually incapable of earning God's love, of earning God's forgiveness, of earning God's favor. And yet by his grace, we received his love because he called us to be his children. John says that's the reason the world does not know us. He uses the word know here. Uh, the word can, can and often does mean know, but it often means understand as well. And I think understand might help us understand the passage a little better. Uh, think of it like this. The world doesn't understand us. They don't understand why we believe what we believe. And by the world, I mean those who don't believe in Christ, those who are not Christians. The world does not understand why we believe what we believe, why we do what we do. They don't understand why we don't always share their values. They don't understand why we don't always share their practices or participate in their practices. We don't, they don't understand why we don't always support the decisions that they make. They can't understand it because they don't know God the Father. They can't understand it because they don't know the one who guides our lives. And so if they don't know him... They can't know why we make the decisions that we make and why we do the things that we do and why we say the things that we say and believe the things that we believe. They simply can't understand. It's, it's not out of maliciousness. It's just that it's confusing, right? I mean, you all have watched someone do something that you've gone, why, why would they do that? And no matter how you rack your brain over it, you go, I don't get it. Why would they make that decision? Why did evil Knievel try to jump over the canyon back in 1974 with a rocket that never was going to fly because it had wings that were, you know, they looked like a Tyrannosaurus. It was just, it was just like, it, it, was, it, it was stupid. Why? Who does that? It's the same thing here. The world looks at us and they go, I don't, you, you believe what? I don't get it. Why? Why would you possibly believe something like that? They don't recognize their need for a savior. They don't believe that he is who he says he was. They don't, they don't accept what Jesus did for us. And so they don't know God. They don't 
know all that they need to know to understand us. But we understand because we know who he is. We know what he's done. We know that he died to save us from our sins. We know that he was resurrected on the third day so that when we die, we can be resurrected with him as well. And we know that we're being made more and more into his image each and every day. Even though we wrestle with sin, even though we struggle with sin, we're, we're being conformed, we're being shaped, we're being molded and changed into people that look like him. Think of it like this. Um, I don't know about you, but when, when I was a young boy, right, I wanted to be like my dad. I, I, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. Uh, he was strong. He was competent. He was smart. He was funny. He was, he was bold. Like, it, there was just something about him. Even today, when I think about him, I, I, I still see my dad as this, this tough guy. He was, he was an inch shorter than I am. But, but he was like, he just was one of those guys like, ah, my, yeah, my dad was, <laughs> he, 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 he was that guy. I wanted to be that guy. And then I became a teenager. And as often happens when we become teenagers, that changed a bit. My, my view of my dad was a little bit uh, skewed or different, you might say. I still loved him. I still enjoyed being around him occasionally. But he annoyed me. So many things that he did just suddenly annoyed me. For example, I'm going to give you three things that, that annoyed me when I was a teenager. One, one was that, well, maybe four, one was that my, my dad always wore striped bibbed overalls when he wasn't at work. He wore a suit to work every single day, a tie and a suit to work every single day. But when he came home, uh, he would, well, when he came home, he would strip down to his tidy whities and his, and his wife beater shirt and he'd sit on the couch for a while but then after that he would get into <laughs> he would get into to to pinstripe um uh, you know the overalls that that train engineers used to they used to wear so I, that always annoyed me i don't know why but I, i'm like get a wardrobe dad come on you know whatever uh and and then and then um he often wore around john deere hats he collected old tractors, so that was something he loved. And he wore around John Deere hats, and I'm like, oh, my friends are coming over, and there's my dad in his bibbed overalls and John Deere hat. Oh, how embarrassing, how embarrassing. He spent his Saturdays, many of his Saturdays, going to garage sales and farm auctions. Why are you wasting your time going to farm auctions and garage sales? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Didn't get it as a teenager. Darden, you want to you go to the sales with me? No, <laughs> right? I mean, that was what a teenager, that's how a teenager, I would, probably wasn't even up when he left, but occasionally they would make me go and it drove me nuts. Um, he always dreamt of living on a farm, wanted to get out of the city, wanted to live away, you know, have his own space where he could do his own things and, and work on things and tinker and so on, right? I hated all that. It didn't make sense to me as a teenager. It was crazy. Why would you want to do any of that? Why would you want to be that person? So my attitude towards my dad changed a great deal. But then as I've gotten older, I, I realize I look myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Um, I don't wear bibbed overalls. You'll never catch me. I mean, Maybe once I'm dead, Belinda will do it just as a cruel joke. But, but you'll, you'll never find me in bibbed overalls with stripes on. It's just not going to happen. Uh, maybe as a joke. But anyway. Um, but I do wear John Deere hats. It, 
they're kind of cool and hip now, so I don't know. I, I, I like my, I'm a redneck, so I like my John Deere hat. I don't care what anybody else says. <laughs> um, Belinda and I now, every Saturday morning, or most Saturday mornings, get up, and what do we do? We go to garage sales and estate sales. I'm just, yeah, I know, you're all looking at me like, yeah, of course you do. But when, I'm just saying, when I was a teenager, it was nuts. Now I'm doing, that's, that's what, I, we're like, oh yeah, yay, it's garage sale day, woo! And we find enjoyment in that. We ask our kids to go, they're like, what? Why would you do that? Um, and, and, and lastly, we both have this growing, nagging desire to live out in the country. All the things that I thought were crazy about my dad have now come true in his youngest son, and I'm living out the dream. Despite my best efforts, I've become more and more like my dad. That's what's happening with God for all of us. We can fight it. We can wrestle against it, and I'm sure we do. We can, uh, we're we're going to continue to sin and fail and, and, and bump our heads and do silly and stupid things. We're going to do those things. We're going to wrestle against God, and yet at the same time, every day, we are progressively more and more like Jesus. We can't help it. That's why he died. He's making us into people who will be like him, who will love God perfectly when they see him face to face, who will love one another perfectly when, when, when we're at that place where we can. That's what's happening to us. He's conforming us to be more and more in his image, changing our words, our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, our desires, making us more and more like Christ, and then we'll never be perfect until we see him face to face. We can be confident that despite our struggles, he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. What that means is he started working in you and he won't stop until he's entirely done. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to say, well, I did my best. (laughs) I tried. Not a lot you can do with Darden. I mean, look at him, right? He's not going to do that because we're his children. And he loves us. And so each day is making us more and more like Jesus so that we can do what? Share his love with those around us. We must share God's love with others. It's God's children. Our response to his love for us must be, has to be, love for others that looks like his love. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what does Jesus say are the greatest commandments? Anyone? Love thy neighbor as thyself. First one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We just sang about it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's it. Those are the two things. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. What are my commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. I told you this was a simple text. Thank you, Tom, for leaving on this text, because this was a great text to go away on. Simple. We have to imitate God's love. He's made us to do that very thing. You might say that for Jesus, uh, you know, uh, obedience is his love language. It's, it's the way we are to communicate our love to him. It's the idea that John was driving at in the, in the verses uh, 3 through 15 of today's passage, right? I'm not going to go into great detail on any of those. I'm not going to break it down uh, by, by verse. I'm just going to tackle it as a big, broad structure, right? We've already established that the world doesn't understand us because they don't acknowledge who Christ is, meaning they don't love him. They don't love him the way we love him. 
And because they don't love him, they don't obey his commands. Instead, John says they practice lawlessness. They sin. And they do so without apology or without remorse. Now you say, I can hear it in your heads. It's saying in my head, I still sin. Does that mean I don't love him? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's not at all what John is saying. What he's saying is they do it without apology or remorse. They don't care that they're sinning. It doesn't bother their conscience at all. Because they don't, on some levels, maybe not even know that they're sinning. They go, well, why is that a sin? Why would that be considered a sin? That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why you think it's so bad. Because they don't know the one who says it is bad. They don't acknowledge him, so they don't obey his commandments. They practice lawlessness, and they do so without apology or remorse. And in contrast, the children of God, though we struggle with sin, our hearts are inclined to want to follow him. Our hearts are inclined to want to do his will because we know that he loves us and we want to love him in return. This is what John calls the purifying of our motives, the striving to love like Jesus loved, live like him, giving glory to him, giving glory to the Father by loving like him and, and, and setting aside and rejecting our own self-interests. This life of righteousness that John contrasts with this life of sin is best characterized by our love for others. It's by our love for others. Jesus says in 3.10, by this is it is evident, or John says in 3.10, by this is an, it is evident that we are children of God. And who are the children of God? Or, or, we are children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, John is not saying that righteousness and loving are two separate things that we have to do. Uh, what he's saying is, whoever who, who does not practice righteousness by loving others is not of God. Anyone who does not live righteously and love their brothers or other believers does not belong to God. And as God's children, we're to keep that command, especially the commands to love one another. Because it stands as proof that the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. It stands as proof that God's steadfast love is what rules our lives. When we love others, even those that don't deserve to be loved, by our own estimates, what we're doing is we're proving, we're demonstrating that Christ lives in us because his love is the rule of our lives. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says it this way, By this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they know. That's how they see. It's when the church is, is fighting against one another and tearing one another apart that, that the world goes, See, you're no different than we are. All that Jesus stuff was just a joke. You don't mean it. And sometimes they're right. Maybe we don't. But what God's calling us to do is to love one another. To love one another regardless of what's taking place. What does this look like? Well, I've already read it today, but I'm going to read it again for you. It's the most popular passage for weddings. Right? 1 Corinthians 13. Most popular passage for weddings. You don't have to raise your hands, but just in your own head, how many of you thought that this was just about marriage? A lot of people do. It's surprising how many people I've spoken with that said, well, 
I don't have to love everybody like this. I just have to love my spouse like this. I'm like, no, it's actually, the, the passage really has nothing to do with marriage other than you should love your spouse the way you love other believers, right? Surprising to a lot of people. Our, our marriages should look that way, look like 1 Corinthians 13, but it's not just about marriage. The love that we're called to show one another here in this room and other believers around the world is this. It's love that is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Such love never ends. The love that's described here exemplifies the love that Christ had for us. Jesus was always patient and kind. He was never envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. He didn't insist on his own way, especially when he was praying to God in the garden. He said, remember, he was praying to God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will. He knew what was coming, and he did not insist on his own way, but followed what God had planned. He was never irritable, never resentful, always joyful, uh, always joyful and never in, uh, joyful about wrongdoing. He always reveled in the truth. He bore all things. He believed all things. He hoped all things. He endured all things. His love will never, ever end. That's what we're called to show one another. While God's love for us is not dependent upon our obedience, our love for others is inseparable from God's love for us. It's who we were born to be. It's what we were born to do. It's how we were born to live. We cannot claim to love him if we refuse to obey him. We cannot claim to be his children if we don't love our brothers and sisters. So my challenge for you is find somebody you struggle loving. All of us have them. It's okay. Find somebody you struggle to love. Find somebody that maybe you've had something against for a long time and you just need to it doesn't, have to be, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple. You just have to reach out to them and say, I love you. That's it. Find somebody that you struggle to love and demonstrate the love that Christ demonstrated for you as the children of God. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, loving others... Um, well, let me start it this way. <laughs> We're so thankful that you... You love us the way you do. We're so thankful for your love that, uh, that, that puts up with so much stuff from us. So much rejection, so much irritability, uh, so many evil thoughts, so many dark places in our hearts, Lord. We're, we're thankful that your love does not fail. Your love does not go away. It keeps on pursuing us. It keeps on changing us. It keeps on making us more and more into your image. Thank you that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Lord, we know that at times we struggle to demonstrate that love to others, and it's ironic because we, we know we're not easy to love all the time either. But we pray that you convict our hearts of that. Remind us of that daily, that, you, that, that we didn't deserve your love, and, and those that don't maybe deserve our love need to be loved as well. Help us to be those that demonstrate that love to the people around us, regardless of who they are or what they've done, Lord. And help us to be those that, that live as your children and show ourselves to be your disciples that way. Thank you for this day and this time. I thank you for this place. 
I pray that you would continue to be with us now as we worship. In Christ's name, amen.